You ready, Claire? I'm ready. Okay. You ready, Don? I'm ready. All right. My name's Tyler Murphy. My name's Claire Overholt. And what what are we calling this podcast? It's something like the Story Night Podcast. Something. That's, <laughs> maybe that's full title. Something like the Story Night Podcast. It's uh, it's something in progress, like Story Night, but... but it's not Story Night. After the story, <laughs> it might be after. It might be after the story or the re- the rest of the story. Oh. Uh, uh, or we were thinking, like, we're open to, uh, we're going to record a, a couple things and then try to decide on what the title will be. So maybe Beyond Story Night mm-hmm. or Billing Stories or something like that. But We've been tossing around a few, so if anything comes to anyone's mind out there, send it our way. It's a but we will probably have progress. decided by the time that they're listening, so then... <laughs> You'll get a rejection. Yeah. So is yes. this a thing that we cut out then? <laughs> this is why we cut it. So we don't know what this what this podcast is titled exactly, but we kind of have an idea of what the aim of it is, and so maybe we'll we'll start with that. So for me, Claire, Don, the aim of this podcast is to provide an additional way for the Story Night community here in Billings to get to know others within that community and that in addition that the podcast is a place for people who haven't been to story night to hear a little more about it without having to necessarily come to story night they could kind of get a sense of what it is and then and then hopefully they'll decide to come at some point and uh lastly my hope for this would be that it's a it's a way that we can encourage anyone listening to consider starting their own story night within whatever community that they're in. Like my hope for story night would be that it, it's not something that happens solely here in Billings, but that I think that everywhere in the world these days needs more spaces where anyone can have the eyes and ears of everyone. What do you think? What's your, what's, what's your hopes for the podcast? Yeah, all of that. And that we maybe get a chance to dig into some of the stories that, get brought up at story night, like see if anything has happened after the fact, any other realizations, or just maybe get more of the context um, and get to know the people telling the stories more too. And I think you've brought up that there are stories around Billings with the people of Billings that haven't attended a story night yet. So I think you said this in another podcast that everyone has a story in their pocket and stories really. And so this is another space to to hear some of those and just get to talk about storytelling more in general too. What is this story night? So story night took root out of, uh, after I went to an AA meeting with a family member and was really blown away by the fact that if you go to AA, eventually you get the chance to have, to have the floor, to have everybody's eyes and ears. And I wish there were more spaces in the world where that could happen. And so story night is kind of like, kind of like an AA meeting in a sense, except uh, we do drink wine and it's kind of a place where people can, can get up there and share what they're struggling with, share the good parts of their life, share quick thoughts, but just to have everybody's attention for just a short amount of time 
kind of the only rule being try to keep it under 10 minutes. I love how it made me smile when you said it's, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, except for you, you drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's slightly different. Okay, so our guest today is uh, Don Corcoran. He's been coming to Story Night for a while. And my first question for you, Don, is how did you come to know about Story Night? Uh, what drew you to it? And what's uh, kept you coming back? Yeah, interesting how it, it started. I just saw it on Facebook. I don't even, I think it was Caitlin. It had posted something about Story Night. It was a couple nights away. And I'd never seen anything like that here and so um, I kind of clicked on it, saw where it was, decided to come, and didn't really expect to tell a story, but I had, this was September, so August 6th, I was diagnosed um, with MDS, blood cancer. And so that was a month, and there were some major changes as well with was working as a consultant and moved away from that, and at the end of the month, and so there was a lot of changes and things happening in my world and with, with kids and, you know, my, my boy Gideon's eight, my daughter Tristan is seven and Josiah is four. And so a lot, lot going on. And so while I was dealing with how to speak to my kids about, you know, death and, you know, because, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, what I have is, is you know, you know, I'm dying, but you know, there was recourses that I could, you know, I could survive. I could stay warm. So, um, but you, you know, you deal with a lot of that. So when I walked into story night, I had some, some, a lot of thoughts and was just going to listen. But what I loved about it is when you started and talked about AA, you know, some of the things that I've been contemplating the last month have really dealt with addictions for me because it, is, you know what put me in the position I'm in now. So, so that resonated with me, and and when I uh, started to come out of alcoholism and drug abuse ten years ago, I went to some AA meetings, and they were court ordered. And so um, <laughs> I decided when I went, I was like, I will speak every time because I was serious about fifteen years of addiction being done. Hmm. And so I I made that point to say I will speak every time, and I'll have something to to offer and I was not interested in speaking in front of people. It was, you know, was, but I did it. And um, so those things really connected me and I just love the, the environment and to hear people speak. The thing that resonated the most with me was it is story night, but you do not have a story night without listeners. Mm-hmm. And I have written on my, my whiteboard at home in big letters, listen it's been on there for years mm. to remind myself to listen to people and to be a better listener to ask questions that will lead to to a conversation that's you know interesting and and it's not surface level yeah and so i'm pretty black and white and i don't like surface level conversation unless there's the option of depth yeah if there's no option for depth you know um then i get uh, um i get bored and answer rather quickly but when I stepped in story night, I saw that here's you know strangers that are willing to open up and have conversations and and that are have depth and that are transparent. So that's what connected me, and I've been coming back every month since. I think it's been five months. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, that would be what what hooked me. Nice. There's a community. 
I remember one time you told me that for you, like so, somehow in your life, you're also some kind of a, like a, a leadership consultant or a, that you kind of have made a profession out of storytelling in some sense, but that story night is like a nice, pure, creative uh, avenue for you. Can, yes. Can, is that, am I remembering that right? Yes. Well, um, I was working for the last year specifically in leadership consulting, which would be, you know, a couple times a week with groups walking, you know, through leadership concepts with them. So, so it's public speaking and it's, but it's, it was primarily focused on personal growth and leadership. So there are some constraints there. You know, you have an audience that you're going to talk about these specific things. You're going to, you know, work to grow them in leadership. So there was, I would intersperse personal stories in that. But when, when it came to story night, it was, it was such a pure space that you could go on a journey and go anywhere and there was nothing, um, there were no limits yeah. on, on, on where, where you could start or end. And so it was really freeing as, as someone who, you know, as an artist, you know, I felt a little more confined in, in, in consulting. And so this, yeah, it was, there was a lot of freedom in story night that, that I didn't, and I had just moved out of that and with no plan moving forward either, which is interesting with the diagnosis that we had with the wife and three kids and say, you know what, I know we built this, you know, consulting business, but I feel like I'm going to go in a different direction. And the interesting thing was, and I only told a few people this is I went, I, I made the decision to move away from that, that work in and not pursue it any longer. And I went down to my whiteboard and I looked and I was like, wiped off all of my <laughs> leadership and personal growth kind of concepts and things that I was working on. And, uh, and I thought I wrote down public speaking and I just felt like that was an area that I was to move into in a different way that was. And so I wrote down addictions, you know, I thought, okay, what, what, what do you have to speak on? Like, you know, you never know. You need to value the audience. So why are they there? Like, mm -hmm. what do you have to say? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I can speak on addictions. You know, I've, I've experienced there and, you know, uh, cancer and then went into different areas that I had and that I thought you know, may have value for people. And they were on the board and, and I, they, they stayed there. And a few months later when I went back, because I'm a guy that writes a million things everywhere, so... It's on my board, but there's a bunch of other stuff. And I look back up there and I realized the stories that I had told the first three months at story night all fit, you know, those areas on, on, you know, addiction and, and on cancer and on different areas. And I, so it kind of came together because I felt like it was to kind of move more into, into, I guess, keynote speaking type mm -hmm. of work, mm -hmm. but um, I had nothing in that area. So story that actually allowed me to walk into what I'm most passionate about is the arts and kind of interspersing things that are interesting to me and, and connecting with people. And they kind of lined right up with, with some things I'd written down to do before. So, um, so story nights came at, a, at the exact right time for me. So I'm uh, very appreciative to it. And um, if you haven't been, you should go. It's, it's a, 
fantastic way to to see through other people's eyes. And we live in this this time that's fantastic because it's so polarized and everybody's, you know. But when you sit people down and people just get up and have a moment to speak, um, a lot of that, all that stuff can drop away. And I know that I'm in a room with people that, if you get 50 people in a room, you're gonna be diametrically opposed to someone, if not half the people in the room, yep. on beliefs. Yep. You just will be, it's just how, and if you're in a room where all it is are people that think just like you, then that's a really terrible, boring place to be, if you ask me. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I love that you can break down a lot of those those um, barriers and just connect with people. And you can do that by listening. And there's been fantastic stories. So I, I love uh, the platform to connect is really what I love about story night. I think Claire and I are always, you know, we're interested in... How do you get beyond surface level conversation? How do you get to the the, the depth? Because that's that is um, you know that's when life is most interesting is when we've somehow broken past our projected perfectly manicured images. But and yet that's a real skill to be able to do that. I'm curious if you if you have any any tips, any things that you've uncovered. Um, in that, especially because Claire and I, you know, as we're going to be interviewing different people, that's exactly what we want to do. And so if you have any, mm -hmm. any, any thoughts on that? Um, yes. <clears throat> Ask really specific questions and in really conversation that I found the way you get, get to interesting places is by asking very specific questions, you know, and, and what I love about Story night is it's a different way. Like if I'm having a conversation, you, know, you can tell if someone's interested by the way they listen and, and, and the questions that they ask. And one thing about story night is it allows you to get up there and explore things that are really planting seeds for people to ask questions of themselves. And I think that's what really, when, when, when you hear a really good story, it's when you can see yourself in it. Yeah. You know, when you're emotionally pulled into it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but yeah, I think um, that's why when I wrote down listen, mm -hmm. um, for years I've been trying to go, how do I become a better listener? It's not just about, um, you know, not saying anything. It's about being able to ask questions that lead you to an interesting place. What do you, what do you guys think of this idea? I, this just came to me that, if I can somehow be the one to first share something that's vulnerable, I do that hoping that it sparks then them, right? So that's what you're saying happens at story night is one person gets up, they, they share, uh, you know, their story and then that sparks something else. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if part of getting past, uh, the surface level is to be the first to share like, man, I'm a wreck. You know, I know that I look like I've got it all together in some way, but actually, let me show you how I don't. Yes. And then, and then that. No, I think when you open it, it does that, and especially when you when you talk about AA and yeah, and, and at least it for me because I wasn't expecting to to speak the first night, and that was kind that's of a prompting. I was like, oh man, this is this is uh, how I yeah the AA hit. Because, you know, again, addictions were something that, you know, 
really directed the course of my life for a long time. And now I'm, you know, now it's the, uh, the reckoning, the payment of past dues has come for me and I'm dealing with a lot of these things and dealing with, with family. So for me as, you know, someone that is, I don't have struggles at all with drugs, alcohol, those things now, 10 years after the fact, you find out, oh, there's a bill. What, you have to tell, pay this. Yeah, well, tell me more about that. I'm not. You said that somehow your MDS is tied to your squeak, squeak. Your, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I have nice squeaky chairs here at the uh, at the studio, which is my house. <laughs> um, but what did you mean by that? How? Uh, or maybe you can also tell us more about what MDS is and. The, the kind of cancer you've got, but it, it, how is it actually connected with the kind of life that you lived? In well, the past? Well, uh, sure. MDS is my wife. She's, she has all, she's, she'd be correcting me because every time I, uh, I discuss MDS and these things, I, I'm not um, spot on with pronunciations <laughs> and, okay. and important things. But what I can tell you, it's blood cancer and it's, it's under the umbrella it's not leukemia, but it can it can move to that. Okay. And um, but it's a blood cancer, and and so the uh, when when I spoke with Doctor Fabrigas, he asked me, he's like, "Have you ever been around Roundup?" You know, and oh. I was like, "No." And he was like, "Hmm." He goes, "Well, this is uncommon because you know I was diagnosed at 47, and he said this is usually when when someone is diagnosed with MDS, they're you know 65, 70." And so it's it's a different kind of scenario for for them because the treatments are mostly life extension. Because if someone gets it when they're 72, by extending their life, often as he explained to me, is something else will be the will ultimately take them, not the MDS. He said, but you know, so we can extend life two to five years in some cases. Um, but for you, you know, because of your age, he goes, that's uncommon. He goes, so is is there anything else, you know? you know, could cause that. So when we discussed, you know, my, my heavy drug use, like, Oh, there you go. That would be, you know, the catalyst that would start, you know, this kind of deal. So, so when I say that it's the payment of past dues, you know, even though I've been clean and sober for over 10 years, you know, I got wow. the bill of yeah. 15 years of destructive choices, which is a, those choices happened before I was married. And before I had kids, so that's kind of the introspective hard part of now of looking at your kids going. I'm sorry. Yeah, you you know, you may have to. Those are hard moments when you look at your kids and and you can visualize them at your casket. Yeah. And and you can visualize them, you know, crying and people trying to, and them trying to work out where's dad and why isn't he here. And so, and, and I've had that recently. With, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to laugh sometimes when, when somebody tells me something like, that's like really like, whew, like I, I have this reaction. Like, yeah. Okay, I just have to break this tension a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have to laugh. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not offended. But you think it's funny I'm dying. Yes. <laughs> I mean. You didn't see what Don winked at times. Yeah. Um, no, it is heavy, and, and, you know, I think we spend so much time in life staying away from, you know, things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, it's definitely uncomfortable to think about, And but when it comes down to it, Claire, you're dying. 
Yeah. Tyler, you're dying. Uh, We're all dying. Uh, and so whether it's two years that technology. <laughs> life extension. I'm gonna live in the cloud forever. Yay. <laughs> um so you know it's interesting, I think, to when you deal with those type of things, it kind of solidifies maybe things you think. Um, and so it's I find it interesting to talk to people at the cancer center because they're dying yeah. and, and you get a lot more truth from people that don't <laughs> have to. That's the surface. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I asked this, this guy that, and I just got done with my sixth round of chemo on um, Monday and I, oh my God. I met this guy Jim and I was like, what are you in for? You know, that's kind of my nod to, you know, being arrested, you know, like 15 yeah. times. Yeah. So what are you in for? And, um, so you do, you get a, you know, I had a, you know, a friend that had MDS and, you know, he was getting treatment right next to me and, you know, we struck up a friendship and, and within, shoot, I think it was two months later, you know, he passed. And so you get this immediacy of, oh, he's normal. He's fine. He's sitting there. Yeah. He's got tubes in him and we're both getting treatment. But I remember thinking that and like, okay, he's, and he was, I don't know if he was 70, 72. That's a guess. Um. But uh, I remember thinking, oh, you know, Sheldon, he's still here. So, you know, because you project yourself going, okay, if I could get five more years, I could do this with my kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I could get two more years. I remember at first, I thought I had my, when I first walked in, I had prepared myself for a diagnosis of three months and that was it. Wow. And, and it's because someone had similar symptoms and had, had been given a diagnosis um, where it was a, a three month diagnosis and that stuck with me. And I remember, so when I had the same symptoms, I was like, okay, this is very possible. Mm -hmm. So when, when we were given the two, you know, it was like 24 months, I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I came out, I was like pretty excited about it and uh, more so than my wife. But to me, I, in my head, I, I thought, sure. you know, I had a few months and it, which still could be the case because people die in chemo. It happens. But, um, you know, I do have, uh, there's an extension. Now this is just life extension, but you know, transplant would be, you know, a cure. So I do have recourses. But anyways, what I was saying is when I, when I saw Sheldon and we would have conversations, I projected myself as I'll be here, you know. And then when, when, he, when he passed, you know, you realize that you can be sitting there talking to someone with cancer and they're gone, you know, yeah. quickly. So... You, you you look back at, your, at yourself and um so yeah it makes you a little more introspective i guess yeah it sounds like it's kind of reframing the stories you want to be your future like i bet it's made you take stock of you know what led up to this in your past but also you, if you've got a certain amount of time left like what stories do you want to happen in that time not that you can engineer yeah. everything that's going to happen to you but yeah well it's a, it's I, I do believe it's a gift i believe I used to think this, you know, people would say, well, how would you like to die? Would you like to, you know, be immediate? And I was like, no, I want to suffer. <laughs> like, I want to feel it happening or I want to have a, you know, like a fight or something. I remember years ago, we'd have these discussions and they're like, nope, you know, I want it to be instant. And I always said, I'd like to know. So there is a gift of knowing um, that your time could be short Yeah. because, you know, the moments you have with people, you know, are different. I want to talk about that a little bit because in one of your stories at Story Night, you, you kind of talked about how 
basically in 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 some ways it allows you the ability to uh, slow down time um, and and it sounds like you're kind of getting at that where like there's a, a depth dimension that you're getting in this in this moment now that maybe you weren't aware of or yeah I think what happens is when you I had a moment with with my kids right you know when when I first got diagnosis and wasn't sure but just knew something was wrong and that it could be you know when when my doctor came in and said you know that I was going to a specialist and to live in the moment I was like what <laughs> like what are you saying and so we hadn't got a diagnosis at that point but I remember having moments with my kids where I would be watching them play and and it just was I was always, I've always been a present dad, but I realized even with that, I wasn't. Yeah. It was one thing from watching, and, and um, I did, it was like I was taking it in at a, at a, at a, a more significant level. Yeah. And I was, um, it was almost like they were babies again, because when, when you have a baby, they do anything, and you think it's the greatest thing in the world. But now they're four and seven and eight, but I had that almost same feel as if they were a baby, and they would be playing, and I would just be watching every moment and every movement and I just wanted to to take it all in and so um and and sadly that has gone a little bit um and I remember thinking oh if I could just keep this you know for the rest of whatever time I have yeah and it slowly starts to fade away as normalcy comes and the chemo happens and and you start to get you know used to your new normal even with my wife you know um I think uh, th that heightened sense, I still it's still there, but not the same as that first 48 hours when you're first dealing with, you know, the possibilities of, of a short, very short lifespan. So, um, but yes, there's definitely, but I found that it's, it's, what it comes down to is you sacrifice yourself and you become invested in other people. And, and if you want to have, more depth or if you want to have you know um more significance in conversation it comes usually by your sacrifice mm -hmm. and by by putting away the things that are so important you know to you and, and trying to dive into somebody else's life and what you know what's important to them and want to understand them and and so it it, it definitely when you feel like you may have a short time, a lot of the things that used to matter don't matter anymore, which kind of is a freeing thing because yeah. you can get right to the point of, in the heart of the matter. So if that helps. What do you cut out? What doesn't matter as much anymore? Uh, what people think. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. That? yeah, what people cool. think. And that's still, man, I battle that a lot still. It's one of the hardest things for me is, yeah. but, you know, it's, you kind of trust your instincts more, you know, you don't waffle and it just kind of solidifies things that, you know, would occupy your time before now you just don't have any time for. Yeah. So, and, you know, and, and I'll say before that, interesting enough though, my life was kind of laid out in a way that nothing really has changed. I've made some changes as far as you know, the work I do, but very little. And so I didn't have to make any dramatic changes, which was nice, you know, and I didn't have to go 
didn't have to go back and say, man, I've been, you know, I got to quit, you know, robbing banks or I got to quit, you know, doing this horrible thing because I'm going to meet my maker, you know. Um, luckily, it was, it happened, you know, at a time where um, our life and the direction and everything was um, exactly where we wanted to be, you know, which was, you know, so things that haven't changed really much for us at all, other than processing, you know, possibilities. So, but yes, I, I guess to the point was not worrying about uh, others, what people say, and also jumping into things quicker to go, you know what, I don't have time to mm. to get better at this or to do this better or to, to get more well-read in this area or before I, you know, discuss this topic, is just having the freedom to say, you know, to, to step into an arena if yeah. not now, then possibly never. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I might be yep. dead tomorrow. Yep. And that's the truth for all of us. It is. And, you know, I think um, to live like you're dying is a really, mm. a really powerful thing. Yeah. And so that's advice I would give, you know, live like you're, you're dying because you are. <laughs> it's happening. I experienced something recently where a close... Well, hopefully, hopefully my mom never listens to this and uh, freaks out in some way. Basically, like where I saw like my brother um, fell into a window and the whole window shattered mm -hmm. around him. And it was kind of this like jolting, like the whole next day I was just kind of a wreck because I could have seen him like bleed out right in front of me. It just, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, but also the most horrifying thing as I you know, like the, I, I just, it took me forever to just sort out. What did I just witness yeah. last night? Yeah. <laughs> like that was the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And it jolted me into like this. No, that's the truth of every single day at any moment. You know, we could all get in a car wreck, mm -hmm. you know, driving away from here or whatever. And, but there, there are these moments where, like, say, with this friend of yours who um, was there one day and not there the next, where all of a sudden that reality that's always there makes itself suddenly more, way more present. <laughs> you laugh when people get hurt. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you just crashed through a window. That's hilarious. <laughs> Unless it was one of the last, like, earlier ones. Like, that was so shocking. I'm not exactly sure how to process it like more of an it's automatic body all, reaction all of that yeah with um I have a few questions but as we're on the subject of recognizing that we're going to die how do you talk to your kids about that like what I know you said you told them a lot of bedtime stories too but I mean what words do you find for for facing that with them good question you know, I did, I did shape a few stories that would start to, you know, allow me to walk into that, you know, through story, because I think it's, it's a powerful way for them to remember, you know, and stuff that maybe you can layer in things that they'll hear, and then they'll understand even more later on. And so they come with us to, to, uh, to chemo most times. So, I, you know, we make it normal. This is our new normal. You know, um, and so I bring them and, and, you know, if they have questions, you know, then 
you know, we sat them down and, and kind of told them a little bit. And, you know, to me, I was like, should we tell them, you know, to my wife and let's sit them down right now. And, you know, dad's dying, <laughs> you know, and she's like, just kind of pump the brakes, you know, like, and when she told them it was beautiful the way, the way she did, and I can't remember exactly the words, but she kind of just explained that, you know, that we're dealing with some health things. But the, we didn't really dive into it too much, and I realized I would have overdone it and just gave them way more than they needed, you know? And so, you know, we, we've talked about it, and, and I, a few times in, during prayers at night, my son will pray certain specific things about, and then you realize, oh, he's listening and he's watching, and it's affecting him more than you think, because you're there, they go to the chemo, and they're running around, and they're, you know... I get hooked up, they do their thing, we leave, and it becomes normal. But then every once in a while at night when you know he'll pray for dad's treatments and for my blood and and, and you realize you can feel the weight, you know, at eight years old that it impacts him. So I try not to have this um I try to I want them to see how I want I want to show them how to live, but I also want to show them how to die. And I don't expect to, I really don't. Um but the reality is, is I am dying and that's, you know, the, the diagnosis we have and there's recourses. So you kind of have to deal with both. Um, but I want to, I want to show them, you know, the reason I want to be around for them is so I can, you know, show them things. And so that was the biggest thing when it started to boil down. Okay. If I, you know, if I do die, why do I want to be here? You know, and you know, it really started to come down to, you know, of course my wife, of course she's first, you know, it's faith first and my wife and my kids. But with my wife, she's an adult and she knows. Um, and, and so she'll be okay. Where you realize they're going to formative things, the impact it's going to have on them. So, you know, I'd like to be here to, you know, to model and show them things. But I also realize I want to show them if it does go the, the other way and I do die, I want them to, to see how to do that as well. So we document a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I record stories and, and and I try to make it as normal as possible and just let them just walk with us through it. So it's not what I thought was going to be was a, a lecture, you know, like, here we go, this is what's going on. It just, we kind of let them in on, hey, your dad's, you know, is dealing with, with this. And then they come with us and they see and they pick up, they listen, so they, they see so uh we just kind of walk it as a family yeah. um and then i really think it's as much as i love story night and it's about telling stories what it comes down to it's what you do not what you say with children so i can tell them stories but really i think they pick up more just being around and watching us and see how we act you know and um you know we're not you know we're not scared and we're not fearful and my wife said something early on she said she told me she said you know once you know, I might cry, and there might be times that I do that, but I'm not scared, hmm. and 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 um, I just might need that. I might need to process, and I might need to to have a cry, but you know, um, that's just part of the process. But I'm fine, you know. Like I'm, I'm not afraid, and you know, she, so they see that. They see how we are. So that's kind of the biggest thing I think is to to walk through through it in a way that they can. They can see. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, sound like a family that faces things. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you're normalizing death with your kids because death is 
pretty taboo, I think, overall in American culture. Like, you know, zombies, such a big part of Victorian literature and like the undead. And it seems like the things that are inevitable are death and taxes, but they're also things that you're not supposed to talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but like we all just said today, like, I'm going to die, you're going to die. Um, And there's other cultures that respect it a lot more and it is more normal or it's beautiful to remember the people who were alive, you know, with us recently. Um, Yeah, I just appreciate you breaking down that kind of taboo because it's really a fact when you get down to it. Don't don't have much choice either. But you do, though, as far as how you deal with it, you know, and... uh... I think that's really going to be the greatest testament to them is that they see how we handle things. Uh, it's funny because my kids will, when they're playing and if they're fighting, they're like, this isn't fair. You know, that's not fair. They did this. And so, you know, we always have the life's, you know, unfair. And um, I've always wanted to do this with them, which is I've, I've wanted to do a board game called Unfair. And then mm-hmm. it starts that no matter where, everyone starts at a different spot on the board. And it's just totally random. And then you get, you know, kind of screwed along the way all the time. And say, okay, that's, you know. <clears throat> and, and the funny thing is, I say that because, you know, I'll say, well, you know, it's not about life being fair. But I don't feel like what's happening with us is, is unfair. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I had a walk with, with my wife. In, we're up in uh, Fort Smith, and it was right after we got the first... You know, hey, you know, live in the present. And so I, you know, I remember asking her, so what do you think? That's an interesting walk when you're having that first walk and you're oh, processing man. everything and then you're like, okay, what do you think? Okay. And so, you know, she, um, you know, we, we, you know, I lived a really reckless life and, um, you know, I grew up, we talked about this before we started in, in the church and, and, and in, in private schools and, and, you know, and that, that was a life for growing up. And then a lot of trauma came into my life and I made choices and, and, you know, became a heavy, heavy drinker and, you know, drug addict. And when I say drug addict functioning, you know, no one would know, but I just was high or drunk all the time for almost 15 years, you know? So, um, I lived a, I lived a, a life that um, it was destructive. And then now here I have a life where, you know, I'm with my wife and we have kids and it's, you know, in the rearview mirror, you know. And, um, and when we first started to, to date, I was still living that way. And, you know, we, we dated on and off for five years and they make fun of me because I just wasn't ready to be married you know I always I always make the joke that I, I gave her five years to make sure that she was really really <laughs> sure that she was going to do this but the fact was I was an addict you know and um so I was still dealing with that and um you know and, and my journey is you know is different because I came to to a point where I was in a, a jail cell in Los Angeles and I was you know on my knees and after 15 years of of you know drugs alcohol and been arrested I don't know, a dozen plus times. And, you know, I had that moment, you know, that, you know, I got on my knees and like, I'm done. I'm done with this life. You know, God, what do you want from me? 
and I'll do anything. And um, it's funny because I prayed a prayer too that would always come later that I was, I was angry at the choices I made. And I was angry at all of the stuff that I did. And it, it was all came out of lies and all came out of this trauma and that, you know, I went in a whole different direction. And um, anyways, I told my, I would pray, you know, for God as he put me in dangerous places for, for you, put me in places I just don't want to go. I don't know why. But anyways, when we were walking, my wife said, I wish you never would have prayed that. <laughs> and I was like, she, I said, and, and when she, first she says, I wish you wouldn't. She goes, I wish Young Don wouldn't have prayed that prayer. And I said, what <laughs> prayer? She go, and she said it. And I said, oh. And she goes, because it's always been that way for us. And she wasn't complaining. But we've had like 10 years of just of all sort of losing businesses and, and, and you know, preemie babies and, you know, oh. big, you know, car wrecks and losing money on, 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 you know, on principal things and, you know, just for 10 years. And so she did, you know, she said that and I said, well, you know, I said, well, what would, what do you think life would be if I hadn't? And she said, it'd be really boring, <laughs> you know? And um, what I love about my wife is that, you know, we walk through this and we are, you know, our family's built on faith and that's first for me. So this makes this really easy. And, um, it doesn't make it easy as far as the kids go and, and dealing with some of that, but um, you know, when you have a, when you have certainty and and you know your direction, it makes a lot of the other things just fall away. So I do want time, and I want to be with my wife, and I want to be with my kids, but you know that's um, that's secondary, you know, that's secondary for me because you know, first and foremost, I'm a servant, you know, and, you know, because of that, because of my faith, that just makes it a, a simple process, which is, this life was never mine. Everything's a gift. My kids are a gift. That was the hardest part at first was to go, to think about my kids and just realize, God doesn't need me. Yeah. He doesn't need me to raise my kids. I want to. I would love to be here. If you give me that, you know, I will honor you in that, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need me. And, you know, when you start to realize that, you know, you're not as significant as maybe you thought you were before. And that's not to mean that people don't have significance. They do. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, um, not as much. So, but anyways, my, um, you know, having that walk with your, you know, with my wife and having those conversations, I realize how, powerful those conversations are and how it, it's sad that it, it takes and my wife and I have those anyways but the majority of people I don't think get in depth in conversation because they're not dealt with what happens if I'm gone tomorrow you know so there is a gift in that because it breaks down a lot of things when I talk to anybody yeah. people that I've had struggles with for years on whatever in the past that is built up some walls, yeah. you just get right through that and go, okay, let's just have a, now that this is on the table, all these hurts and things, they still matter, but when you bring death to the table, you're able to push mm -hmm. some things aside and just have, you know, conversation that you wouldn't otherwise. So that's really been a, a huge gift of, of the diagnosis is, especially for a guy that doesn't like surface level conversation, um, you know, it breaks right through that. Absolutely. So... So there's all, you know, um, I will pass. <laughs> um, 
will you tell us a little bit about uh, then what is the prognosis and um, uh, you said something about a, the possibility of a transplant? Yes. I, <clears throat> here's the deal. If you pause that and let me go to the bathroom for a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell you. yeah, that's great. Which is why, if you haven't noticed, I always sit in the back. Because um, <laughs> I to the bathroom and I don't want to get up. I want to sit in the front, but if I do and I have to get up and I wreck someone's story. Yep. Oh, that's so that's why I always get the back seat. We'll be right back. And I do have to... 5.30 actually, even if we oh, still go do? to 5, so okay. we don't have to wrap if, so if we do, that's great, but if we don't, so my, my time, I've got a little more time than I thought of. Okay. Great. So just to repeat real quick, the, the uh, I'm curious what the prognosis is and then what, um, you mentioned uh, something about a transplant. Yeah, so, and then we do have some other, we've got a couple more questions we want to get to before we wrap this all up. Yeah, so, so what... Once we we were diagnosed with MDS, the uh, the next step was uh, what I'm doing now, which is they wanted to do six rounds of chemo. So I do six rounds, which is seven days on, three weeks off. So I go in for an infusion um, every day for seven days, take three weeks off. And the goal was to get to six. And then once we got to six, then decide. So we just wrapped our sixth round of chemo on Monday. So now I'll go in for uh, my second bone marrow biopsy. So we'll go in and take out some bone. And then they'll do uh, some testing to see where we are. So I was at the lowest, my, my platelet levels had dropped down to 17,000. And, and 150,000 is low and 50,000 is critical. So when we were down at 17, you're down at, at the... so. We, with this treatment, moved it up over 50,000, okay. so we're just on that cusp of, you know, critical, you know, 150,000 is, again, low. So that's where we are, and they wanted to get it up and then decide, am I having, you know, side effects? And then if they can extend it, there's two choices, which is, is I'm in, you know, what is life extension now, so why not just keep doing that if there's no issues until we have to because there's, you know, when you go in for the transplant, um, what that looks like is we'll go to Seattle, we need a donor, so there's a be a match where people will, they have to find a match. So none of my for, brothers... And it's a match for what, exactly? For, bone? for stem cell. Uh, yeah, it's bone stem cell, I guess. I okay. guess where my wife is. Okay. No, you have it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just go okay. and do that stuff and she takes all the notes. But it's, it's um, yes, it would be, uh, I guess it, they do a, I think they can take it out of the blood. So I may be technically off on, on some of the terminology, but um, anyways, what it is, is it's, a, it's a, a stem cell replacement therapy. Or no, that's what she always says. It's not that. It's, um, but anyways, they'll go in and, and I'll go in for three days of really heavy chemo. And then they do the, they do the replacement and then you're there for another 27 days. So it's um, a one month in the house, in the hospital, and then three months within 30 minutes of it for any complications. So we'll move to Seattle for four months as a family. And then um, that's that's the next step. The question is, do we have a match? We don't right now. And then the other is, when do we go? Because, you know, the chance of death goes up in the, in the process. They may want to just extend it and say, if we're going to, you know, take the chance, might as well kick that 
down the road a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Why do it now if we can do it six months from now or a year from now? Yeah. So they're juggling those. Now I'm healthy and I'm, you know, young for you know for this yeah. procedure. So that's good. So you know the question is, you know, what they want to do. So it, when it does happen, it'll be four months in Seattle, and uh, just a question of when. Um, it could be now or it could be in the next year or so, what, I would think. What does it look like to get a match? I mean, is that, you've mentioned that your brothers aren't, and and then what's the process yeah, to the, get a match? First thing they do is they go to family that has same mother, same father. They go to the brothers and sisters. I had four, yeah. and there wasn't uh, matches there. And then they go into a national database. So then it becomes, you know, a lot of people come up, hey, can I be? Right, yeah, and, that's what I was yes. wondering. And, and you can, but what it is, you have to go to the database. And so it's, it, they kind of separate you. It's not like you can, and then if you so end like up in the data, say, yeah. I, this goes to him. Exactly. Okay. And so. That's um, kind of. When they do that because. Kind of a bummer, but. Yeah, when they do see. that because they don't want people, you know, they explain to us is that, that way if someone has, you know, money, they can kind of. Yeah. So it makes it equal for everybody to go into a database. So, um, But the sad part is then that there's probably a lot of people who would be, like, I'm a match for somebody who needs it out there, right? Yeah, but if you go in the database, if someone needs it, they'll go look and, and they'll find you. Right, so, like, all of us who are healthy should maybe just go be in the be database, in the database <laughs> yeah. right? Well, I mean, obviously, more, for, for those that are looking for a match, that would be fantastic. Because, see, like... I might not be a match for you, but oh, for somebody, else, yeah. somebody else, I'm out there. Which I don't feel the pull to go be in the database for somebody else that's yeah out of sight, out of mind. Especially because there's a process to it, and, and you have to go in, and it's, it's it's the process of becoming the once you become the match, um, they have to come to the same hospital. And, and be there for a certain amount of time to yeah. get some of the, the work done. So it's it does intrude on their life. So it's better if it's a family member. It makes it easier. Yeah. But um, so wow, God what bless a, those that dang, decide what to do a that. tricky... See, I feel like that's not the best way to have that system. But I see where it's fair, but I just yeah. can... It kind of like... Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, if I can go find it, then we should be able to use it. Um, it seems really fair to me, and, and I'm, I pretty much roll with it, you know. Um, that's, you know, it sounded, the way they described it, it, it sounded, it sounded like, a, a good, a good process. So that's what we're, we're waiting on. So, uh, we will find out. And so we're kind of waiting again. Now we'll, we should know more in the next month because we're doing, you know, biopsy and kind of finding out where we are now. I prefer to go, hey, as long as we can go, but my, my wife would kind of rather do it quicker, I think, which makes sense. So. We'll see. So what else you got? You got some other questions here? Yeah. Let's see. Um, one of them was uh, Tyler and I both had questions pretty much about craft. So story craft. So when I tell people about story night, I find myself like pretty quickly jumping to saying, and there's this guy, Don, who's shown up and he just tells the best stories. And I'm like the way he puts them together and has details in there or just it seems like no line is without purpose which is a really it's a sign of a strong writer too that every word pulls its weight but you're doing this in a setting where you don't have time to sit down and edit and revise like you are saying this all out loud so i think that's a really 
fascinating part of story nights for me is just seeing that art in action that isn't uh I mean we practice it like we tell each other stories every day but to to look at it as a um an art and a craft is really fun so I'm curious like with that skill you have how do you prepare for telling these stories like I know you tell your kids stories at bedtime like have you just spent a lot of time telling stories throughout your life or do you actively map out what you're going to say like do you practice good question you know it started for me with um my grandfather telling stories when we were kids and I hardly remember them I just remember they were fascinating he would just make them up and so I remember it always had to do it seemed to have to do with shoes a lot had to do with him and somebody else and he would always something with a race and always something with somehow stealing their shoes or something but um I remember that so when I would read my kids stories at night you know I've always been somebody that always thinks do it yourself you know no matter what the field if if I'm looking for someone else to do it I'm like well why don't I do that well I should do that you know and so felt that way in business if I was you know working anything I would always think of how to to do the next job and so anyways I thought of that when I would when I was reading stories to the kids I thought well why don't you you know make up your own and so I started making up stories and they were based on some bunnies in the backyard and so they all got names and they were named after the kids and and so every night I would tell them stories and then it evolved into more and more and more stories and I think interesting enough it did prepare me for story night a lot of things have but it prepared me for it because what I would do with the kids is I would sit down and then I would just go and, and I would just make it up on the fly. But as I'm talking, I would have to kind of think of where I was going. And so I, I got, you know, pretty, you know, good since I did so many of them, I would try to do them every night. And at first they were five to seven minutes and they became 15, sometimes 20 minutes. So I didn't, didn't realize at the time, but I was actually kind of working on an art form. And, and then I, you know, pieces of things I used when I would, when I would talk, you know, as a leadership consultant, different format, way different, but you would grab little pieces of that or of public speaking. And, and so I kind of, when I stepped into story and I realized a lot of these things that were all separate just kind of came together. But this, the, the, the things that I always think about is the audience and does this have value to them and, and respect them and respect their time. And so don't waste their time without, you know, so make sure that you have, you know, a landing spot, like where are you starting? Where are you going? And, uh, and then I found out the way my brain works. Often I would tie in different things. And so they would kind of come separate, like one story and another, and another, and then I would kind of mash them together. Mm -hmm. And so like, say the first night when I did the story about, about my yard, you know, I was just thinking on those things about be out in the yard. And, and so when it came time, I had a loose idea, but I was, didn't plan on giving a story. And then I thought, <laughs> okay, better. And then I was nervous going, oh man, is this fit the format? Like, is this okay? Like, what are they looking for here? Kind so of thing. Okay. And so I almost didn't because I was, I was scared because I'd never done anything like that before. Yeah. So it was literally my first story. That's like I've told stories to my kids and I've done that was you guys you know that was my first story night or that was my first story like that yeah so that was you know um so then after that they kind of come the same way where i'll be thinking of things and then i'll, I'll come up to a story night and go i'm not i'm not doing a story because i don't have anything yeah 
And then a day or two before, all of a sudden a few ideas will yeah. pop and they'll just come together and it'll be kind of loose, but I'll have a, a no kind of a, a couple topics and that they'll wrap together. Mm -hmm. And then through the next few days, I'll just, you know, as I'm doing things, it'll just kind of, you know, my mind will kind of go to certain areas and, and I'll think, Ooh, make sure to say that here, you know? And so I do work on, um, on, on them because I want to respect the audience, but, um, you don't have to either. There's a, there's a beauty in just being, and then this the last story was different. There was just a, a straightforward story of something that happened. And, yeah. and so, um, you know, I think there's many <laughs> ways to tell stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and you do kind of feel like, Oh, maybe I'm getting kind of a, um, Oh, like, um, what did I say? You just kind of maybe find a, a way that, that you do it that's kind of a signature or something. And, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to, you know. Change style. Yeah, I want to be able to, to kind of morph. But what I would say is this is, is you know, um, kind of, you know, be at least a, know where you're going. And it can be improv throughout, but at least know where you're going. Because for me, I have a hard time when someone's telling a story and then they stop and go somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know. So, but the beauty of story night is that it's a place that people are there to listen and you get a, you don't have to, you can come with, you don't have to come prepared with anything, yeah. mm -hmm. you know? Um, normally when you start to speak, you will thought on that thing for a while. So in a way you prepared, yeah. you just didn't know it. Yeah. So, um, but the one thing I would say is definitely, you know, kind of have a start and middle and finish would probably be, you know, and then fill it <laughs> out as you go. Yeah. 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 I do, I do, I agree with that. And I also want to say though, that one of my favorite parts is, as you're kind of talking to that, I think, I think you agree with is that part of the beauty of story night is that it is a space where if you don't have it figured out, it's totally, especially in the second half of the night, I'd say there's that mm -hmm. open, opens uh open space for anyone to get up who just in that moment feels yes. feels called i'm so appreciative of like you and Dwayne and some of the other people claire that come to story night with something ready and that i know okay these people are going to get this ball rolling and then that 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 allows them for like in the second half of the night, people who weren't yes. expecting at all to share, to be like, you know what? Dang, D Don's story really sparked something in me. Yes. So I'm like infinitely yes. grateful to you. But I, I kind of want to also say that side of it too for anybody Absolutely. listening to not feel intimidated like, oh, I've got to have it perfectly mapped out. Absolutely. And I, in, in the, I, I was prepared for it because... I had a you know a few mentors in, in business that had this they would get up in front of people and out of nowhere say, Hey Don, do you have something to say? And you're like, What dude? <laughs> like you couldn't have told me that you got a room of hundred people, all of a sudden you want me to say something. And so because that was a possibility, every time <laughs> in my head I would always go, if he has asked you to say something, you know, be prepared. Hmm. And so I would quickly think of you know, like a, a topic and then an ending, like oh, nice. and you have to fill it out as you go, but just so I wasn't blank. Yeah. And so I, I, 
you know, I had a few guys that would do that to me that would occasionally ask me to, out of nowhere, to, to speak. And you're like, dude. So I would be ready with something. Yeah. And it would, you know, and usually it was more in business or leadership or something. And, uh, and I would bring sometimes personal stories. So what didn't have to be mapped out. It just had to be, okay, I have something to say. And, and you can find your way that at the end, it's intuitively there somewhere. You know you want to yep. speak on it. And then all of a sudden it finds its landing spot. Yeah. And so I That's, agree with you 100% that you'll see that happen with people. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so um, you, you, you want to have room for that because, you know, that's uh, there's a vulnerability and a transparency in that. And, and you get to watch it happen with someone. It's a beautiful thing. That's so amazing. Um, yeah. So. And that's, I mean, that's where like, um, like that gives birth to somebody getting confidence in uh, being a storyteller. Yeah. You know, but there has to be those spaces to begin with where that where that can't happen. Absolutely, and, and you guys provide that because that's the first time I've stepped into a place that had that, and um, because that platform was there, there was you know people ready to listen and and uh, freedom to experiment. Because yeah. really, when I first gave a story, it was an absolute experiment. Like, I don't know so if it's cool. going to work, and if people are going to be interested or if halfway through they're like, okay, next, you know. Because you don't, you have those insecurities of you're not sure. Yeah. And that, you know, so however it is that you communicate to people, I just happen to communicate that way. Yeah. But I've heard some of the best storytellers ever that just can get up on a dime and just start and just go and have, and, and just, it's a beautiful piece of improv and it lands. So I yeah. think there's, you know, I think there's definitely, it's, there's freedom. Yeah. For sure. I think that goes back to, your question, Tyler, about like, or your thought about being the first one in a conversation to open up a space of being vulnerable, like when you mm. offer something that's, um, that shows you're vulnerable, that people feel they can do that too. Like, I think when you do that, you're saying to a person, it's okay, I'm going to go here and it's, it's all right if you go here too. Like you're kind of opening a door. And I think Story Night and AA are both places where everyone shows up knowing it's okay as well, um, especially if there's initial storytellers who break that ice. And so I think like when you're having a conversation, your words are kind of that door, like making that place as well for people to to share hard things. It's, it's very special to be in those spaces. It is. For me, the uh, what holds something like AA together, what everyone has in common and I think this is true of Story Night too, is that that in some way they've experienced hardship in life. That, like, when you go to AA, everybody is, like, lacking in some way. They're, they're I guess, for that, it's like the common thread is everyone lacks maybe some willpower to uh, not drink, you know, or at some point have. Or they've dealt with hardship that you know, they face trauma that leads them to drink. Yeah, or exactly. That's I'm basing that off of my boyfriend works at a Rim Rock, the addiction therapy, addiction treatment center, excuse me, here in Billings, the largest in the state, and he's a recreation therapy coordinator, and it seems like a lot of the stories of the people he's known are stories of hurt and trying to soothe that hurt by some type of vice. I just want to add that to yep, yep. to a commonality. It seems. Yeah, 
Yeah, we've all dealt with suffering in it's one of those things that people often try to hide. And I, I find that it's when people start with being vulnerable or transparent, it really opens the door for communication. Otherwise these walls are still there where you're trying to hide and and still, you know, appear to be put together or have the answers and and I always appreciate the way you start because it, it definitely sets the table for people being able to to come. Because I came into the way you open coming from some of the things that I've done in the past, say with with you know leadership or with the certain events, you would start different because you want people to know, hey, we're here, we're starting professional, it's like this. And it, you are you start it in a way that's very different than that. And it's perfect for that because it allows people to kind of relax, and and also when you when you when you start the way you do it, it sets the tone. People are like, oh, this is a place where I can speak if I want to. Yeah, and it always seems to happen that way where there's just a couple people, and then at the end, it just you have you know a dozen. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Everybody's scared. It's of so and every yeah. Scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. And imagine putting it on. You have to go. What if tonight only one person decides to speak? <laughs> There's 50 people here, and all right, we're done. It is a beautiful, like, kind of leap of faith in some sense of just like, mm-hmm. oh, crap. Because at the beginning, I used to make sure I've got eight people lined out. Now, we, you know, write down names at the beginning of. But that's happened. I can only feel comfortable in that because people, because I know that people like you and a handful of 10 or 12 other people who kind of call story night uh part their like community yeah um are there and and know kind of know the drill and and are always thinking if i'm showing up i might need to share a story and that's a beautiful that's a beautiful it thing. Is. It is. we are at uh maybe around the time to start wrapping up do you have any any last uh any the last question last question i had um coming into this was on a note of what you were just talking about. Um, I think it was hardship. Like I feel like a lot of the subjects of your stories have been talking about things that are hard to talk about, like hurt or abuse you faced or the addictions that you went through um, or death, like things that are difficult to think about and confront. And a lot of those kinds of memories are ones that people don't really want to revisit or like hesitate to get into. So I was wondering if you could talk about essentially talking about pain or why those are the stories you choose to share. Yeah, that's a great question. I think isolation can be a prison. And often when you have traumas or or memories or things that you want to kind of run and shut the light off and hope no one ever sees, it can actually be worse. And there's a freedom in confronting it, a freedom in in sharing it, a freedom in, 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 in discussing it. And, you know, I think uh, there's a longing for that. It's just a human condition. You, we all go through suffering. We all go through pain. We all go through these things. But now, especially with social media and different things where people are able to craft kind of an image, maybe that's hiding some of those things, it becomes even easier or almost imperative to keep those things to yourself. And so I think, uh, I think uh, speaking on those things, there's a freedom in it. And until I did, say, 
things with my with my dad who I love. And I would always struggle with, say, telling a story about my dad because for it to have the impact, you need to tell the story as if you're in it. So you can't say, hey, we're good. You know, I love him. Everything is great. You know, he's passed now, but you kind of have to walk them through it as you walk through it for them to have the same impact. Yeah. And so I struggle with some of those kind of stories. because I really struggled with the story from the other night because I didn't want to go tell the story about, you know, kicking down doors and drunk and running from the cops. Not because I think it's funny. There's funny things in it. And, but it's a heavy cost for me mm-hmm. when I talk about those things because yeah, that story in and of itself is, 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 is got a lot of, you know, situational funny things, but that lifestyle is what has put my kids in a situation where they may not have a dad. And so that made me go, oh, do I want to, you know, tell this because right. it kind of glorifies this in a way, but hopefully it doesn't, yeah. especially if you don't, you know, cause you kind of want to, I wanted to kind of leave it as, as it was without kind of having a redemption at the end of you come in and you don't drink and you're a good citizen kind of, you know, I didn't want the story to, to end that way. Cause that's not how it ended that day. It ended with me walking right back into the bar to go do it again, you know? So, and again, and again, cause I had someone ask me, well, that was kind of your come, come to, you know, like your hit rock bottom moment. I'm like, no, no. I've got, I've got a hundred stories like that. They just, it just kept it going from way, one to the next. It's way the further next. down. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I think, um, like I, I love the arts. My wife, you know, I met her, um, in, in, in the theater and, her being an actress and and so i love the arts and i think um what's beautiful about the arts is they can whether it's painting or whether it's writing theater or dance or or music is uh when you have somebody that's brave enough to go places that exposes themselves that you know you can connect and you know to that so i think that's really kind of for me the driving forces behind the arts is when there's transparency and and especially when it's touching on the things that are the hardest yeah. and and um i've always appreciated artists that take me there and you know funny um i have those adele moments where i sit in the car with my wife's adele and i'll see you know <laughs> like i can't believe i cut that but um you know because you come out of you know uh, a background of of that i did wait, wait hold, hold on hold on <laughs> wait what so, what adele moments like what song well, just, are you just, referencing all of them. like just all you listen them. to adele like you know <laughs> but there's a beauty there that connects with people because she's not you yes. know, there's, there's the music that comes at fronts that you know you're making it rain and you're the guy and you've got all these <laughs> yeah Bentleys that you rented that aren't yours and yeah, yeah, you're yeah. putting this on and then she comes out just stripped down and you know and, and there's a you know and I make it as a joke but it's true though that she you know that kind of art where it's where it allows people to see who you are at your worst moments yeah um you know there's there's a connection there that happens that that you know is different and so you know Van Gogh with the ear yeah, you know, whacked off is you know. There's something so touching that he would show that, paint it, and of course, you know, I don't know that he knew that that was going to ever. 
he he never knew that he was going to be famous, but yeah, you know, he, he showed a lot of his own life, especially his self portraits, and showed shows us. I'm not, I don't have it put together. Like this is this is who I am right now, and my hair is all buzzed, and I've got a bandage over my ear. Yeah, absolutely. It's not Napoleon on a stallion that's uh, rearing up. Absolutely. And I, just the other day, uh, there was a fight, Fedor, he's a legend, got knocked out in 35 seconds. Mm. And he's by some considered the greatest heavyweight of all time. And, and before this, and he's at the end of his career, I remember he went for like 10 years, never lost. And he was always stoic and acted a certain way. And then when he lost, he acted exactly the same way as when he would win. And I just, I just loved him for that because, you know, I still love like the McGregor guys that would go out there and, you know, really push it and do their thing. But, um, but there was a, there was, there was a beauty in the fact that he was no different when he won. You that if you saw clips of him after a win or after a devastating loss, you couldn't tell which which it was. And um, I just appreciated um, appreciated more when I saw him lose, even though I hated to see it. Yeah. You saw more oh, of the man yeah. when you saw him knocked out in 35 seconds, and then how he acts afterwards than you did when he didn't when he crushed everyone for 10 years. Yeah, like now all of a sudden he's not immortal; he's human, and and it almost makes what he did before even bigger because you realize that was a reality every time he stepped out there. He could went to sleep in front of 10,000 people. You know, and this kind of connects with me with Adele in a way, which is the same as you're in front of all these people and you're, you're you know, bearing your soul. So there's um, a much deeper connection with the frailty of life, I think. I'm so thankful for you for being transparent. I think it's an incredible gift that you're given uh, to your kids. I hope that you're around for lots of years um, to continue exemplifying that. Um, yeah. but if not, you've already given an incredible gift of like showing how to, how to face that well, how to get up and talk about it, how to talk about the hard parts of your life. I hope I'm around for a long time too, man. Um, I appreciate this. Thank you for, for thinking of me and, and giving me an opportunity to sit down with you. And, and again, story night is such a powerful thing. So Thank you for that because, you know, as I transitioned from what I was doing and going, what's next? The story night came up and now just to look over the last five months, how it's, you know, it's had a huge impact on me. And within the first month of finding, you know, a diagnosis, you know, of, of you know, cancer and, and you may die. And, and then to have a, an area, because really I've been able, like AA, to come and then share you know, about the experiences. Yeah. And so it's been really powerful for me. And so um, I just appreciate what you guys do. Yeah. Thank you for, for, you know, story night. It's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And you've touched a ton of people with your stories. Like I think the first night that you shared the whole front row, myself included, was just sobbing. and <laughs> We really needed tissues. And I've come to know that I should expect that every time you get up to share so thank you for bringing your craft, like the level of craft you have. Thanks for bringing it. And, you know, that prayer of putting you through trials, like you brought a lot of beauty from them to everyone who hears your story. So thank you. And for people listening, 
if you can make it to the next story night in Billings, probably at least get a meet done, if not hear one of the infamous stories. And also maybe sign up for the bone marrow donor registry. I think I, I will, because who knows if there's a Don out there that I might match with. Does I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, are, I am motivated by this I, conversation. I mean, to me, it, it, yeah, so I don't know much about it. It's called Be a Match. Yeah. My wife did it, and it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of removed from a lot of the technical stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I go through it. But there is a thing called Be a Match. I don't have any information on it, but um, people can do that. They can... They can um, I think it's a simple thing as a swab hmm. and they send it in and they can see if you're a match. And then if you decide to, you have a choice then if you, if there comes a match, if you decide to do it. So, um, it's a pretty easy thing to, to get in the database, but, um, yeah. yes. That that's amazing. Sense. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'll so that's why we did this whole thing is <laughs> want everyone <laughs> out there to go fun. right now to be a match, help me live. <laughs> Help me live. <laughs> we came through the back door. That was yeah. all a setup. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Don, for you being bet. here. And thank you, Claire. Yeah. And we we kind of uh, last night on the phone going into this, we we talked about we're at least going to commit to six six interviews, and yes. then we'll reassess after that. So there's at least going to be six of these. Nice. Yeah. And we spoke before you got here. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about, you know, story night. And so I guess because of that, I didn't think to, to say thank you specifically, Claire, because you do so much. Oh. And we come from, my wife and I come from a background of doing events. And so we've done them for years and years and years. So we, I, when I step into uh, an event, I see all of the inner workings of what people do because it's just something I've done for years. So I realize how much you do to make that go and make it happen. And so thank you. It's um, you're kind of, you do it in a kind of a way that makes it look like it just happens. And I know that's <laughs> not the case. So Aww, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Shoot, I got to say thank you then too, because Tyler started all this with Story Night. So big one, big thank you to you. Thanks everybody for listening. And we'll be back in, uh, what, like two weeks or so? Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks again, Don. Mm -hmm.